Hello everyone, welcome to the third installment of the Cold War. Uh, there's going to be some uh, changes, uh, and I'm going to let you know about those in a minute. Um, but first, uh, the number one change is that the school is going to be using uh, Google Classroom. So I will be posting uh, the code for my Google Classroom on both Remind and, as, and also on Twitter. Please make sure you sign up for that. Um, I'm going to kind of probably get away from the Remind and start using uh, Google Classroom. So all the assignments will be on there that you can uh, do and with due dates and points and uh, all that good stuff. So please make sure that you're following along. Uh, please make sure that you're staying up on uh, with everything that's going on. Uh, hopefully everybody's safe. So um, today we're going to talk about uh, the Cold War and it kind of spreading out to different parts of the world. Uh, so we're going to focus in on the Korean War and this other major document that uh, is created during the Cold War called NSC-68. So we'll talk about that. But before we do that, let's talk about U.S. foreign policy during 1949 and uh, 1950. So remember, the U.S. is trying to contain communism in Eastern Europe. And the United States had the belief that they would be able to maintain uh, their containment uh, doctrine, like the Truman Doctrine. Uh, and they basically believed that uh, they could do that because of all the money they were supplying, all the support they were giving to countries that would keep them from siding with the Soviet Union and turning into uh, communist countries. And also you had the creation of NATO. So any type of uh, interference that the Soviet Union was going to try and, and, uh, and, and use, uh, if they invaded a, a country that uh, they wanted to try and turn to communism, that would be seen as an act of war and World War III would break out. The Soviet Union was not ready to fight another war, especially after the heavy casualties that took place during World War II. Um, for the U.S., uh, for the U.S., NATO was cheap. Uh, the U.S. basically rested on their power of the atomic bomb. So they didn't have to invest large amounts of money into developing conventional forces in Western Europe. They didn't have a lot of ground troops. So you started to see that after World War II, the U.S. were bringing a lot of their troops home. Um, we didn't have this large, you know, standing army in Europe um, because we had this atomic weapon. So if there was any sort of problems, hey, we could always just go and drop one of those big bombs. Um, the Soviet Union, on the other hand, did not demobilize. They uh, kept a very strong fighting force, and they actually uh, strengthened their army by uh, getting more and more soldiers in Europe, and especially in the eastern section of, uh, of Europe that they had already kind of taken over that we talked about. So when the Cold War first was going on, first broke out, there was a pretty equal balance of power between the United States and the Soviet Union. The U.S. had the atomic bomb, but the Soviet Union had this large fighting force, right? We're talking like two, three million people strong. However, in 1949, there were two key events that shifted the balance of power away from the middle and kind of pushed it towards uh, the Soviet Union. So the first thing was that the Soviet Union got their own atomic bomb. So now... U.S. kind of security was, was shattered when the USSR, the Soviet Union, announced that it had developed its own atomic weapon. And the U.S. probably had an idea that they were going to get this weapon. But 
it was a lot sooner than the U.S. expected. So that really kind of upset and worried the United States. The second major thing that happened was China fell to communism. So remember, the U.S. is trying to contain communism in Eastern Europe. And then all of a sudden, 1950, uh, Soviet, or the China falls to communism. They were going through a, a revolution. A civil war took place between 1945 and 1949. Um, and the U.S. gave support to the nationalist leader, Chiang Kai-shek, um, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, once again, they kind of helped him out, uh, as we mentioned, with the Lend-Lease Agreement, uh, how, giving them aid uh, to kind of fight. But it wasn't uh, this heavy intervention that you later saw with the Soviet Union and uh, in other parts of Europe where we were giving tons and tons of, of money to these different countries. Um, so this was another huge, hugely upsetting thing that happened. And uh, it worried people. And there was this investigation that took place. And at the end of this investigation, there was these white papers that were created. So much like the white papers that we talked about um, in the Middle East after World War I, um, where they kind of looked at what was going on between uh, the, the Jews and the Arabs in the Middle East and what was causing all these problems. It's basically just a report. Well, this white paper uh, was uh, a, another report that was put out by the U.S. government. Uh, that clearly stated that the U.S. could not have altered the outcome, that no matter what they, the U.S. could have done, uh, if they would have given more money and more military advisors and all that stuff, it wouldn't have changed a thing. And here's why. Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of the Chinese people under the, the nationalist government, was too unpopular with the people. And basically, it wasn't really the communists that were doing this, but it was more the collapse of the government itself that occurred. And that's why they ended up turning to communism. So we got these things happening and it's starting to scare people in the United States because the Soviet Union is getting too strong. So we got this new scare that takes place. You might've heard of this before, the Red Scare. So anti-communist feelings were very strong in the United States after World War II. Now remember right before World, you know, during World War II, we kind of changed our attitude. We were you know, friendly with uh, the Soviet Union. We were friendly with Stalin. We wanted to work together with them to defeat Hitler and the Nazis and the Japanese. Um, but in 1950s, and when this Red Scare really starts to reach its, its, its height. So this Red Scare was pretty much started by a guy named Senator Joseph McCarthy. Uh, and this guy was a senator who was running for election, re-election in Wisconsin. And... He alleged that the Soviet Union had a conspiracy to place communist sympathizers into key positions in American life. So he makes these accusations, right? Writes a letter to Truman, uh, kind of talking about uh, his suspicions. And Truman basically called him out and said, you know, you're full of it. Uh, you're, you're, try you're trying to use this as a way to get reelected and stir up fear and things like that. Uh, but publicly... Um, Senator Joseph McCarthy had already kind of called Truman soft on communism. And he also called um, his Secretary of State, a guy named Dean Ackeson, also said that he was very soft on communism and possibly said that, you know, their administration, the, the administration under Truman, was already 
compromised because they had these communist sympathizers or people that were friendly towards communism within the government. So a lot of these accusations by Senator McCarthy, as well as other people within the government, led to these different purges where people were removed from their jobs. Um, They were fired. Uh, They also had different show trials where they would call people into Congress and they would, uh, you know, give depositions. They would be asked questions by by members of Congress. Um, And it could be for simple things that somebody felt was un-American. So if you didn't stand up uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance or you didn't stand up at a baseball game, there were many occasions when, when people were, were arrested or even people themselves, civilians, would beat these people up uh, because they would, thought they were communist sympathizers. Uh, no group was safe from suspicion. Hollywood went through this whole thing. There were many actors that were blacklisted because of suspected uh, or supposed uh, communist ties and things like that. Uh, one of the most infamous trials that took place during this time was the trial of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. So I'm going to be putting a DBQ on there about the Rosenbergs, and I want you to uh, look that over. It's not too long. It kind of talks about everything that happened with uh, the Rosenbergs and why it's such a famous trial that took place during this time. Um all right, so how bad did it get with this whole Red Scare? Well, Dean Ackeson, the guy who wrote the white papers on China, where he, remember, he basically said that there was nothing that the United States could have done to change the outcome. It was more of the, the Chinese government that was there, the nationalist government just collapsed rather than a communist takeover. Well, he had been attacked by McCarthy for being soft on communism, so it was just he decided to kind of reconsider his findings on what happened in China. And so after reconsidering, in quotation marks, he now claimed that China, under the communist leader Mao, was completely subservient to the Moscow regime. So he basically he's saying, like, this is the Soviet Union. They're the cause of this. They were the ones that had kind of orchestrated this. Um, and once again, he really kind of changed his tune. It was all because of... Uh, McCarthy and, and, and his accusations. Truman's response to McCarthy's attacks, uh, well, once again, publicly, uh, privately, he, he really didn't care for McCarthy. He knew he was just trying to stir, stir the pot um, with some fake news, if you will. Um, but publicly, he had to say something because McCarthy had already kind of called out Truman, so he had to look tough. And uh, so what he did was he called for a review of the U.S. foreign and defense policy in response to this new threat of communist China, as well as the Soviet Union having their own atomic bomb. And so for now, we have the United States not only engaged in the Cold War in Europe, but we also have them engaged in a Cold War with China. So this is kind of a a new war, new Cold War that's on two fronts. And by the end of this whole thing, we're going to have, we're going to be fighting this Cold War all over the world in South America, in the Middle East, in Africa, uh, as well as Asia and Europe. All right, there's another thing I want to talk about. Uh, Next thing I want to talk about is a major document that was created during this time called NSC-68. And this basically really kind of showed the U.S. was totally committed to fighting 
this Cold War. Um, so what was NSC-68? It was a report that was created by the U.S. National Security Council in 1950. And once again, this is viewed as a key document of the Cold War, much like Keegan's long telegram that we talked about um, was one of those major documents that really influenced the Cold War. This was another one. And this is all about kind of money. So let's talk about what this did. So what did NSC-68 do? Well, number one, it warned how all communist activity everywhere around the world could be tracked back to Moscow. So once again, going, going back to with China, right? China, it was now believed that was heavily influenced by Moscow, by the Soviet Union. It also warned that there was going to be this indefinite period of tension and danger between the U.S. and other communist countries, now China as well as the Soviet Union. And uh, we don't know when this thing is going to end. It also advised that the U.S. be ready to meet each and every challenge promptly. So if the Soviet Union or China is doing something that we don't like, um, if they're trying to put pressure on some other country to you know, accept communism or turn to communism, that we need to be ready to act promptly, make sure that we're giving money to kind of get that country to side with us, whatever it takes to make sure that communism doesn't spread. This uh, report also suggested that there would be an immediate increase in military strength and spending somewhere between three, 35 and $50 billion. So once again, that might not sound like a lot of money. Well, I mean, it probably does sound like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of, scheme of things, like as far as right now, we spend a ton more than that. We're at like $790 billion every year that we spend on our military. So once again, they're gonna at this time though they're talking about like, hey, let's increase this more. Let's make sure that we have money to support those countries that are under threat from uh, communists. And besides spending, it also talks about increasing military strength. So more boots on the ground, more soldiers, uh, in case something does break out. And last, this NSC sixty eight document really encouraged military and economic aid that be to be given to any country resisting communism. So the whole um, Marshall Plan and the Truman Doctrine, keep that going. Don't stop that because it's helping. Now, many uh, historians today kind of look at the, the, the NSC-68 in a different view. Um, they kind of criticize that the Americans' uh, perception of the Soviet intentions um, were based off a false premise that the U.S. kind of used this document and used what was going on to kind of expand to their influence, to almost, you know, kind of use their money to create this, uh, you know, imperialist dynasty or, or use it, you know, create uh, imperialism to um, make sure that they... Can can spread democracy and things like that, and and try to basically just you know get more countries on their side. All right, the last thing we're going to talk about is the Korean War, um, and so this is the first major hot war that occurred in uh, the Cold War. So please look over the notes. I'm not going to really um, get into this too much, but I want you to look over the notes, and then I'm also going to have. An assignment for you on Google Classroom about the uh, 
the Korean War. So please make sure that you watch. All right, so let me just talk a little bit about it. This is the first hot war. It means that there's actual fighting uh, between the U.S. And um, this is not... This, this, this does not involve the Soviet Union. It's actually the U.S. as well as other countries that were in NATO fighting the Koreans. So what started it? Well, after um, World War II, Korea, which was once uh, basically you know, part of Japan, which we talked about during the interwar year period where J- Japan invaded Korea and took them over and things like that, um, after World War II, Japan lost Korea, and just like Germany, Japan, uh, Korea was split into two different countries. The northern part, North Korea, was put under Soviet control. The southern part, South Korea, was put under U.S. control. So, in 1950, June 1950, um, 90,000 North Korean soldiers invade South Korea. And so once again, looking at what uh, Keenan had said about the Soviets trying to expand communism, what the NSC-68 report said was, hey, this is all tied back to the Soviet Union, even though it's North Korean uh, armies that are doing this. It's, it all can be tied back to the Soviet Union. So... This upset the United States, and uh, there was a, a fear that if the United States, if the UN didn't take action, this would cause a domino effect, which means that um, the communism would then spread to, you know, all of Korea, and then once it spread to all of Korea, it could then spread to other countries. So, like a domino falling. So, once one country fell, another one was going to fall right after. So the U.S. used basically the same policy it used in Europe to try and contain uh, communism. Um, they, they sent aid to South Korea, tried to help them out as much as possible. The United Nations, remember this, this body that was created to replace the League of Nations after World War I? Uh, they sponsored a resolution calling, in the UN, uh, calling for the U.N. to use military action against North Korea. Because remember, the UN actually had a military that they could use. Truman saw this as an important test of the UN because if the UN failed to act, it would be following the same mistake, following the same path as the League of Nations when they didn't stand up to an aggressor. Like when World War I, when they used appeasement to deal with Hitler and they were slow to act on things that Mussolini had done and slow to act on what... uh, some of the issues that uh, were created in, uh, in Japan with them trying to expand their empire and things like that. So on July 1st, U.S. troops first arrived in Korea, and they were joined by 15 other nations. Now, one of the major things that you need to note is that the U.N. commander was General Douglas MacArthur. So you might have heard of him before. He's famous for his, his corncob pipe that he always had. Um, but uh, interesting fact, uh, interesting thing that uh, he and Truman did not get along. And eventually Truman had to fire MacArthur. So when you are looking through the documents that I'm going to be sending out on Google Classroom, please uh, make sure you make note of who replaced him and why he was fired. Um, 
So just five years after the end of World War II, the U.S. now finds itself again at war. And all those recommendations that were created under the uh, NSC-68 became immediate budget issues. They were going to have to try and get as much of that money approved to help fight this new war and uh, contain com- trying to contain communism to where it was at. All right, so um, please make sure that you uh, look at uh, the notes the, that I sent. Um, I'm all, I also put the, a copy of the PowerPoint notes on the uh, Google Classroom site. And if you look where it says the course of the Korean War, I believe there is a link that you can click on uh, that will give you a little video, kind of show you what was going on with the, uh, the, the uh, Korean War. The, there's another slide right after that that kind of shows a picture that was taken uh, by a satellite showing North and South Korea. And just look at the huge difference in the, the amount of, of lights and things like that, the, the amount of activity that is going on in North and South Korea. Uh, if you look up north, there, there's, it's mostly black. There's not a lot of industrialization. Uh, they're mostly an agricultural uh, economy. While as in the South Korea, you have a lot of uh, bustling going on. You've got a lot of uh, industries, and you can see all the activity that's going on. So really showed how differently these, these countries developed under both the Soviet Union in the north and the U.S. in the south. So once again, keep an eye on uh, the Google Classroom and uh, hope everybody's staying safe. Miss you guys. I miss talking about uh, the stuff with you. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me or send me a message through your mind. Uh, Find a way to get a hold of me. All right. Twitter, whatever. All right. Take it easy.